This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. This is Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse number 1. I'm going to read the entire chapter to you, so just buckle in as we get through this incredible text. Now, this is the commandment. God's word says, Deuteronomy 6, 1. Now, this is a commandment. The statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, it says Moses, that you may do them in order, uh, you may do them in the land in which you are going over to possess. Verse number two, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes, his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and uh, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. These words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with uh, great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst. It's a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that it may go well in the land that you uh, take possession of, of the good land that the Lord swore to you and to your fathers by thrusting you out, um, out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. When your sons asks you, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules the Lord God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders and great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. He brought them out, brought us out from there that he might give us that he might bring us in and give us the land which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all the commandment before the Lord our God, which he has commanded us. I'm surprised he didn't just start preaching right after that, just out of habit. Have you ever spent a lot of time on something 
thinking all along that it was the right thing to do and get to the end of it and find out that it was not quite exactly what you had hoped or you didn't quite execute it properly. I love to build things. Um, and usually when I build things, I like to just create the plans and build it from nothing because it's more fun that way. Um, last summer, Angela asked me to build an outdoor couch for our uh, new deck. And so for some unapparent reason, because I wasn't engaging the smart part of my brain, I decided to go online and just get some pre uh, determined plans and just follow those meticulously and build an outdoor couch. So I just got the plans, started building, put it together and got to the end, put the cu- cushions on. I'm feeling good. And I sit down and I fall through the couch <laughs> because the supports for the cushions were like this far apart, which obviously is not going to work well. Again, not using the smart part of my brain and just following plans meticulously. So I disassembled it, it became firewood, and I built a new one. But I was so convinced that those plans were the right thing to do that I just followed them without really even thinking about it. It's just what I wanted to do and how I wanted to execute that. Um, And I think that some of you, many of you, maybe are executing parenting that way. That you've thought, uh, been taught one way, And you haven't really thought maybe about what that looks like or how that should actually function in your home. And so what I want to, the question that we want to answer this morning is this, what is your role as a parent? What's your role as a parent? Because I'm convinced that far too often we as parents act as owners and not ambassadors. We act as owners and not ambassadors. I believe firmly that this is the message of Deuteronomy 6 as we look at it. As I studied the the text this week, I'm convinced that our role as parents is to be ambassadors for Jesus. Our role is to be ambassadors for Jesus. I want to give you a little disclaimer. This uh, book by Paul Tripp, Parenting. Um, was extremely helpful to me in my study this week. He unpacks Deuteronomy 6 for most of this book. Um, and so as I was unpacking Deuteronomy 6, it was very helpful in my study. So you'll see lots of quotes from Paul Tripp this morning um, as we unpack Deuteronomy 6 together. Um, so here's our big idea for the morning. I will be, I will parent as an ambassador of Jesus. I will parent as an ambassador of Jesus. Now I want to say, I know that for many of you, you may not be parents either yet or now or ever. Um, but this idea of being an ambassador of Jesus applies to you as well. Maybe not directly to parenting. I will primarily be speaking to parents this morning because that's what Jamie told me to do. But beyond that, um, there are applications for you and I would, uh, just invite you to say, under this text as well to think about what it would be for you to be an ambassador in the role that God has you in. So with that being said, three aspects of being an ambassador parent to look at this morning, three aspects of being an ambassador parent. The first is this, the calling of an ambassador parent, the calling of an ambassador parent. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who represents another. They point to someone or something else above themselves. Merriam-Webster defines it this way, an authorized representative or messenger. Ambassadors represent someone in action and speak about someone in message, in action and in message. 
So imagine if you were an ambassador to, say, Italy, and in that, you decided that you were just going to put some sanctions on Italy with no one telling you to do that. You really can't do that. You won't keep your job as an ambassador for very long if you don't faithfully represent the wishes of the one who has sent you. Paul Tripp says this, the only thing an ambassador does if he's interested in keeping his job is to faithfully represent the message, methods, and character of the leader who has sent him. Ambassador parents faithfully represent Jesus in action and in message to their kids. We live like Jesus. We speak the truth of Jesus. Well, why in the world are we talking about Jesus? We're in Deuteronomy 6. Well, remember, as we've been unpacking in this entire sermon series, what did Jesus say on the road to Emmaus? Who was the Old Testament about? Him. It was about Jesus. So as we look and we see in this text, Lord, it's referring to Jesus. Okay, so that's great. I understand what an ambassador is. But nowhere in Deuteronomy 6 is the word ambassador used. So why are you using that word? Well, I'm glad that you asked me that question. Let's let our eyes fall back on Deuteronomy 6 in verse 1. And let's see that although the word may not be here, the concept very much is. And it's just a word that we're grabbing to summarize the concept that Deuteronomy 6 is pointing us to. So Deuteronomy 6 verse 1 says this, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days May be long. Moses teaches them so that they can fear God. Not just them, but their kids and their grandkids and their great grandkids. He teaches them so that they can live like Jesus, so they can know the law and do the law. They can live like Jesus. Let your eyes fall on verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Love God. Live like Jesus. Our love of God fuels a life lived in obedience to Christ. How about verse 7? You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Teach them, speak the truth of Jesus. Speak the truth of the words that Jesus has said. When? Verses 8 through 10, all the time, all the time, when we go and when we rise. In verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord. Do you know we're forgetful people? We forget who we are, what we've been called to all the time. And we're reminded here in this text to take care Lest we forget, don't stop teaching about our God. We need to be ambassadors. We could keep going on and on in this chapter, but I hope you see the point. Live like Jesus yourself and teach your kids to do the same. That's your call as a parent. Be close to Jesus yourself and press him into the lives of your kids. In short, be an ambassador parent. 
But too often we don't act like ambassadors. We act like owners. Owner parenting is motivated by what we as parents want for and from our kids. Owner parenting is motivated by what we want for and from our kids. The key there is what we want. An owner parent is more worried about our agenda for our kids than they are about God's agenda for our kids. An owner parent is very concerned with how their kids' actions, behaviors, and choices reflect on them as a parent. But here's the reality. Your kids are not your own. Did you know that? Look at Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Our kids belong to the Lord, first and foremost. Paul Tripp says this, Good parenting, which does what God intends it to do, begins with this radical and humbling recognition that our children don't actually belong to us. Rather, every child in every home, everywhere on the globe, belongs to the one who created him or her. Children are God's possession for his purpose. I try to teach this even at a basic level to my kids all the time. So at the age our kids are at, the one of the biggest things that we fight on a regular basis is just sharing. Anybody ever had that problem in their home where kids just don't want to share with one another? So when my kids struggle to share with each other, what do I do? I say, well, whose toy is it really? To which they begrudgingly say, God's. It's God's toy. Okay, so why can we share then if it's God's toy anyways? Because God has blessed us with everything and thus he has shared with us. Therefore, we can share with each other. Because everything that we have is a gift from the Lord and it belongs to him. And we're just called to be stewards of it for his glory. That's my kid's toy. That's everything that the Lord has blessed you with. To say it another way, everything that God has given us should be used in the work of being an ambassador for him. Your calling as a parent is simple. It's hard, but it's simple. You have two jobs. Be in a close relationship with Jesus and press Jesus into the lives of your kids. There is nothing more significant that you can do for your kids than to be close to Christ yourself. Because out of that flows you pressing him in to them. Okay, so how do I know if I'm an owner parent or an ambassador parent? Well, let me give you some signs that you might be more of an owner parent than an ambassador parent. Maybe you struggle with finding your identity in your kids. Do you take your kids' failures personally? Do you often respond to your kids out of hurt and anger for their choices? Maybe you find some identity in their work. Are you trying to mold your kids into your future version of them? You have this idea of what you want your kids to be and you're pressing with all of your energy and might to get them to be that thing. Do you believe that you have the power and resources to actually accomplish that? To mold your children into the children you want them to be? Because newsflash, you don't. That's a work of the Lord to grow your kids. 
And so we need to be pressing them to be what he wants them to be, not what our vision of who they should be is. Those two things should align, but often they don't. How do you measure success as a parent? Are you constantly working toward a set of goals that would define you as a good parent? You have this list in your mind of this is a good parent, this is a bad parent, and I try to check more of these boxes than these boxes so that I can be seen as a successful or I can feel like a successful parent. Are you constantly using things like academics or music ability or athletic achievement and social likability as indicators of your success or failure as a parent? What about your reputation? It's easy to get that tied up in our parenting. Do you parade your children's successes in public to receive the applause, to receive the applause of others? Do you tend to be easily frustrated about how your child's disobedience makes you look? What's frustrating when your toddler throws themselves down in the store and starts throwing a fit? Because of how you look as a parent? Because of their disobedience to the Lord. Look, it's not a bad thing to push our kids to obedience. It's not a bad thing to push your kids towards academic success and to be hard workers. It's not a bad thing to try to mold and shape your kids into responsible humans. That's not a bad thing. But it is a bad thing to make those things the driver of your parenting. The thing that must drive your parenting is being an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Listen, if your kids obey you perfectly and don't love Jesus, that's not a parenting win. If your kids don't make the travel soccer team, but they know how much Jesus loves them anyways, that is a win. Your calling is to be an ambassador of Christ in the lives of your kids. Jesus has to be the motivation and the content of your parenting. Okay, so I'm called to be an ambassador. So what in the world does that look like? Well, let's look at the second aspect of the three. The second is this, the role of an ambassador parent, the role of an ambassador parent. Deuteronomy 6 primarily gives us two roles here. And the first is this, we should teach them. Look at verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6. Look at verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6. You shall, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall teach. What are we supposed to teach them? Well, there's a, there's a few things that Deuteronomy 6 draws out for us. Uh, the first is what God has said. Look back at verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. What are these words in this context? It's the law. It's what God has said. These are the things that we should be teaching, what what God has said. He said a lot of things in this book, and we should be teaching our kids what God has said. So what God has said. The second is who God is. Interwoven all throughout this text are truths, little nuggets about who our God is. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is One, this is a Trinitarian reference here. 
Verse 15 says, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the the Lord your God be kindled against you. So God is jealous. God is angry. He'll go on in verse 21 to say God is mighty. Our kids need to know who their God is. And not some watered down version of who their God is. Not some sanitized version of who Jesus is. They need a full, complete picture of God. Why? Because how in the world can you do verse 5, which says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. How can they possibly do that if they don't know the fullness of who God is? I can tell you that 14 years into marriage, I love my wife more today than the day that I married her. Why is that? Because I know her better. Our relationship is deeper because of our knowledge of one another. Out of that grows this love. That is true of our God. As we know him better, know him more fully, we will love him more deeply. Do you know that gospel-centered parenting is more than just teaching your kids God is loving and gracious? Our God is loving and gracious, amen? But... He's more than just loving and gracious. He's a God of wrath and a God of justice. And those things are on display in the gospel. Jesus satisfies the wrath of God for us. God shows himself as just in the gospel. To understand the gospel fully, we have to understand our God more fully. So we need to teach our God, our kids what God has said, who God is. And the last thing that Moses points us to is we need to teach them to fear the Lord. Fear of the Lord is mentioned three times in Deuteronomy 6. Why? Because a healthy fear of God drives us to the gospel. It drives us to Jesus. Because what is the only thing that can satisfy the wrath of God? Jesus Christ on the cross satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf. It's either that or your own punishment for eternity. So when we have a healthy fear of the Lord, yes, awe and reverence, that's part of the fear of the Lord, but it's not all of it. We should shake in our boots when we understand who the God of the universe is because he can wipe us off the face of the planet in an instant. And our kids need to know that. They need to marvel that we have a God that is that strong and that powerful. And yet so often we motivate our kids to obey out of fear of us. Do that or else. Those words ever come out of your mouth? Probably 10 times this week in my house. Angela, not me. I'm just kidding. It's me. Don't motivate your kids to obey out of a threat from you. Motivate them from an awe and reverence of their God. Paul Tripp says this, 
At some point, your children are going to begin to wonder why they have the rules they have, why they have been told to do certain things, and who in the world put you in charge? Sadly, many parents have little more to say than do it because I told you to do it, or do it, or you're going to get punished. Those explanations get a response from your children only as long as they fear you. But there will come a time when they don't fear you anymore. If all you've given your children is fear of you, then when they leave your home, they will no longer have anything to motivate them to do what is right. You could say that teaching your kids to fear the Lord is the advice to ground everything you require of your kids in the gospel. They should know that the motivation for why they obey anything is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because a healthy fear of God drives us to the gospel. It drives us to the only protection from his wrath, Jesus Christ. That's what we need to teach our kids. And we don't just need to teach them. We need to show them. We need to show them. What is the greatest commandment in all of scripture according to Jesus? It's Deuteronomy 6.5. He quotes right from here, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The single most important thing that you can do for your kids is to be close to Jesus. I'll say that again. The single most important thing that you can do for your kids is to be close to Jesus yourself. It's then and only then that your house can become a home that actually models the gospel. Because if you aren't putting on the gospel yourself, you're surely not going to press it into the lives of your children effectively. If you're not putting on that mindset, you aren't going to parent from it. It has to be the air that you breathe. Then and only then can you press it deeply into the lives of your kids. How often? Verses 7 through 10 say, when you sit or when you walk. When you lie down or rise, put it on your hands, in front of your eyes, on your doorpost, on your gate. Why? Verse 12. So you don't forget that your God is a saving God. Because we're forgetful people who forget that all the time. Anybody remember the movie Rookie of the Year? So I watched Rookie of the Year on insane amount of times as a child because I was the youngest of three and it was my oldest sister's favorite movie. So I then watched Rookie of the Year all the time. So to this day, I can quote you probably the entire movie start to finish easily. The the quotes just come out in context. Most of you probably have no idea because you've probably never seen the movie because it's really not that great of a movie. I've just seen it a thousand times. But do you know how I wouldn't be able to quote you Rookie of the Year? I would just act like you have never seen the movie. I, I would have never watched it. I would have never taken it in. But when you see something, when you breathe it in, when you are constantly taking it in, it automatically flows out of you. It's just natural. Think of some of your closest friendships, right? All of us have these little catchphrases that we use in life. And as you get close to friends, you start to 
adopt their catchphrases and they start to become your catchphrases. You start to mimic the people around you very, very easily. It's just natural how we think and function. And the goal in our home should be to be modeling Jesus in such a compelling way that our kids are doing that. They're picking up what it looks like to have a close relationship with Christ and they're putting that on. They're breathing it out because they're breathing it in. Is your relationship with Jesus that compelling? How are you modeling Jesus to your kids? What are you teaching your kids? Are you painting a full picture of God to your kids? Are you seeking to constantly and consistently abide with Jesus in a way that fuels your love for him? Okay, so I'm called to be an ambassador parent. I know what the role of an ambassador parent is, but how in the world am I going to get that accomplished? Well, the third aspect of being an ambassador parent is this, the tools of an ambassador parent, the tools of an ambassador parent. Deuteronomy 6 gives us two tools to use as parents. The first is this, it's the law. Look back at verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. What is the them in verse 7? It's the, the words of the law. We're supposed to teach the law to our kids. Here's what you need to know. Do you know that the law isn't bad? In some gospel-centered circles, we've actually started to talk about the law as if it's this bad thing that we shouldn't pay any attention to anymore. But look at Romans 7, verse 7. This is what Paul has to say about the law. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. The law helps us see right and wrong. We need rules. We need boundaries. They are set up for our protection and our protection from primarily us. Rules are for our good. Rules, the law of God, are God's way of saying, this is how life will go best for you. We're told this four different times in Deuteronomy 6. Verse 2, at the end of verse 2, it says, Which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. What happens when you obey the words of God? It's saying, your days may be long. Look at verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. When you do the words of the law, it will go well with you. It says, he says that again in verse 18. And in verse 24, he says that the law is for our good. Obedience to the law of God is how life will go best for you. We refer to this, and this is totally a stolen parenting thing. Virtually everything I do in my home is that I've ripped off from somebody else. Um, But we refer, refer to that in our house as the circle of safety. The law of God is the circle of safety. When I operate within what God has said, it will go well with me. When I step outside of that is when I start to have consequences for my sin. 
When we obey God's rules, we stay inside his circle of protection and his promises to us. It's how life will go best for us. But far too often in our homes, if we're honest, we're not calling people, we're not calling our kids to a circle of safety defined by God's law, but by mom and dad's law. What we want. And God's law is greater than our law. But so often we call our kids back to our rules that aren't defined by God's. Paul Tripp says this, somehow, some way, God's law gets replaced by our law. A law that sat, that's sadly driven by our craving for affirmation, control, peace, success, and reputation. So we make selfish, impatient, and angry demands on our tri- children, treating them as indentured servants who exist to lessen our load of daily chores and to make our lives more comfortable. The fact is that our children weren't created and given to us for our sake, but for God's sake and their good. Rules... The law in your home is not a bad thing. It's a good thing to have boundaries for your kids. It just can't be the only thing. It's one of the tools in your house, not the only tool. The second tool is this. It's the gospel. Look at verse 20 of Deuteronomy 6. Let your eyes fall there. Look at verse 20 of Deuteronomy 6. When your son asks you in time to come... What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Why in the world do we have all of these laws? Why do we obey the word of God? Why, why, why? What should we say? Look at verse 21. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Our God is a saving God who rescued us out of the grips of our sin. We were slaves to our sin. Yes, they were slaves in Egypt. You were slave to your sin. But he rescued you. This is gospel language. This is Moses calling us back to the fact that our God is a rescuing and saving God. Here's what you need to know. The law isn't bad. It just isn't sufficient. Because Jesus didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled the law. The law shows us how life will go best. The law shows us how God would have us live The law also shows us that we will never measure up to God's standard. The law shows you that you are a desperate need of a savior because you are a sinner. The law does an amazing job at exposing sin and a terrible job at saving us from it. The law does an amazing job at exposing sin, but a terrible job of delivering us from our sin. It exposes our behavior, it exposes our hearts, and thus our need of a savior. You need this. Your kids need this every day. Because your kids are wretched little sinners. My kids are wretched little sinners. Amen. And guess what? They need to know that.
Paul Tripp says this, the greatest danger to your child is not the evil outside them. It's the sin inside them that is greatest of all threats to their well-being. You can work as hard as you want to protect your kids from the world. But they still have a sin nature inside of them that could draw them to all the places you're trying to protect them from. We need to draw them to the only thing that can rescue them from that. That's Jesus Christ. But far, far too often, we stop parenting in law. Do this. Why? Because I said so. You, you better do this or so help me, there's going to be consequences. But the law is insufficient. It's insufficient. If the law was enough, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. If the law was enough, Jesus would not have had to come. So don't parent like Jesus never came. It shouldn't surprise you your kids sin. They need grace. It shouldn't surprise you that your kids aren't perfect. They're sinners in desperate need of rescuing by a savior. It shouldn't surprise you that your kids struggle. They can't obey the law perfectly. It's why Jesus had to come. Okay, so I get it, I think. What's that look like? Well, let me give you a scenario to kind of help just paint the picture of what this might look like in your home. Little Susie comes home from hanging out with her friends, and she just seems off. She just seems kind of down. And so, as you're noticing that, you say, what's wrong, Susie? And she says, my friends all said I'm mean. Well, well, why do you think they said that? And back and forth and all of those things that you do. And after some probing, you discover that she said some mean things to her friends because in a moment they wouldn't play with her the way she wanted them to play. And so she said some things out of frustration that were mean. So how do you respond to that? Well, option one, you just say, Susie, don't say mean things to your friends. It's not nice. Case settled. End of story. Well, that's very law-driven. How about, how about this? This is a little bit more biblical, something that we would probably often feel good about. Susie, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up. So uh, next time, let's, let's use words that build up our friends and not tear them down. That, that's a good start, but you stopped at law. Okay, so what does it really look like? Well, how about this? Susie, Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. This didn't happen with your friends today, did it? No. Well, why do you think you responded to your friends that way? What were you hoping to gain by responding to them that way. I want to ask questions of my kids to get to their heart to see what were they really wanting in that moment. And then I want to press into the heart of why they wanted that more than a desire to love and obey Jesus. And then 
we transition into, do you know why we disobey God's word, Susie? Because we're sinners and we're in desperate need of a savior. And do you know who that savior is? That savior is Jesus Christ and he died on the cross for your sins. And what does God's word say that we should do when we break God's law? First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins. So, Susie, you need to go and confess your sin to the Lord. And next time you're with your friends, I want you to confess your sin to your friends. And then, Susie, here's the joy. Your sin is covered by the blood of Jesus. So the next time that your friends want to do something and you don't really want to do that, why don't you think about Jesus and how he willingly laid down his life for you and he was able to sacrifice for your behalf. You can do that for your friends. And yeah, there's lots of nuance to how that goes back and forth. And those are hard, long conversations. It's a lot longer to do that than it is to just say, Hey, be nice to your friends next time. And it seems at times like you may be saying the same thing 400 times a day and I might be preaching the gospel to my kids over and over and over and they just are giving you rote answers and rote answers over and over and over and I don't care because I want to keep throwing kindling on that fire because I want that fire to ignite and I want my kids to love Jesus passionately. So if I preach the gospel to them 400 times in a day and it never quite sinks in, I'm going to do it 400 times the next day. Because they need to know who their God is and that Jesus loves them. Being an ambassador parent is hard work. And I'm told even increasingly harder as they grow older. And yet it's what we're called to. To press Jesus into the lives of our kids. Are you parenting like Jesus never came? Are you asking the law to do what only grace can? Are you demonstrating a model of repentance and forgiveness with your kids? It's humbling to have to go to my kids and say, forgive me. I didn't parent you the way I should have parented you. Please forgive me. And yet, what a beautiful chance to show them the depth of the gospel. It's a high calling. It's hard. But I want to leave you with this last quote from Paul Tripp. It says this, God hasn't made a mistake in tasking you with being his tool for the forming of the souls of your children. You know how I know he hasn't made a mistake? Because you have the kids that you have and you're in the place that you have. And God literally has access to anyone in the world and he can do whatever he wants to do. And if he wanted somebody else to do it, they'd be doing it. You see, he has opened the eyes of your heart to his existence, presence, and rule so that you could be a tool of the same in your children. He has revealed himself to you, not just for you, but for your children. But there's something else that he's done. 
He's bestowed upon you his forgiving, rescuing, transforming, and delivering grace so that you could be a tool of the same in the lives of each of your children. His gift of grace is not just so that you would be a recipient of grace, but also a daily instrument of that same grace in the lives of those he has placed in your care. In his grace, you find everything that you need to be what God wants you to be in the lives of your children and to do what he has called you to do with them. The very thing that is hard to do, impressing Christ into the lives of your kid, is the very thing that will fuel you to be able to do it as you press Christ into your own heart and life. Run to Jesus. I don't want you to walk out of this morning feeling beat down, feeling like you haven't been parenting the way you should. I want you to run full on to Jesus and full on to pressing Christ into the lives of your kids. But here's what I know. That's 100% of work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. We can't, we can't do this on our own. So I want to just take some time and stop and pray and ask the Lord to help us as Redemption Bible Church, the parents in Redemption Bible Church to do this. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. And as is so often the case, the, the truths that are contained in your word call us to do things that are hard and things that we feel inadequate to do because in reality we are. We need your grace to proclaim your grace. We need Christ formed in us to be able to just be tools, vessels to form Christ in our kids. And God, I pray you would increasingly help us love Jesus more so that out of that, we can press Christ into the lives of our kids. It's a high calling. It's tiresome. It can be burdensome. And yet, God, those are things that we can take to Jesus and lay at his feet as he helps us, as he equips us, as he fuels us to do that in the lives of our kids. And I pray that you would help us do this better. Help us love Jesus more deeply and out of that, Press him into the lives of our kids. We just ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks, church. Have a great week. You are loved.